Women Taking the Lead, Episode 61. I think that you have to be really clear about what you envision a successful life to be. And don't be afraid that it's too big or too small from someone else's perspective. Hello, my name is Jody Flynn and welcome to Women Taking the Lead, where we are all about creating blasts of inspiration to help you overcome self-doubt so you can lead with confidence, integrity, and a sense of humor. Head over to womentakingthelead.com to get the solutions to your top five leadership challenges. Now, your future awaits, so let's get started. Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining us today. I'm here with Alin Potvin, who is a naturopathic doctor, teacher, medical muse, and healthcare advocate. Her love of working with patients and her family health practice in Arundel, Maine, is only surpassed by her deep desire to educate and support families to become independently healthy and bring that forward into building community. Okay, Alin, that is only a little intro for everyone, so tell us more about you and your own humble beginnings. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me today, Jody. Um, well, I grew up in Aristic County, and for those of you that aren't familiar with Aristic County, it is probably one of the more remote parts of the state of Maine. Um, but I grew up in a larger, low-income family. Um, but I have to say, for what my parents couldn't give, they never told me not to go for what I wanted, which was great. So when I was 16, I actually enrolled myself into a math and science charter school. Uh, when I got to college, I grabbed research positions as a freshman all through four years of university. I moved alone to Toronto to start medical school. And so, you know, just kind of all through my teens and my, and my 20s, I really just kind of went for it. Um, when I came back to Maine and started my private practice as a solar provider, um, you know, there's lots of challenges starting a business in a rural community, but also as a younger female. Um, and then on top of it, I'm a holistic medical provider. So a lot of trust building had to happen. I had to be able to communicate very clearly with people about what I did and, you know, what kind of business I was trying to build. So, you know, a lot of evolution. But now I would say as a naturopathic doctor, I get to help people come to know themselves Um and also to become independently healthy, which is my dream. Okay, wow. I don't even know where to begin. Alin, how did you know? It sounds as if you knew exactly what you wanted to do at the age of 16 and you put yourself on the path. Is that the case or was something else propelling you forward? I think I've just always been very innately curious. I, you know, I knew that I was interested in the natural world around me. I knew that... Um, I wanted to understand that more. I thought about going into medicine, you know, as, a, as an early teenager, a young teenager, but um, I became a little bit disenchanted with, um, you know, some of the things that I, that I saw in regular medicine. Not that we, you know, those aren't things that we, that we need, but I just really wanted to look more at holistic medicine. And so it was actually kind of a, <laughs> I, I went through a bit of a maze, but I, I just really I think have always been innately curious and this is where my curiosity has brought me. 
Mm. And I imagine you had to be incredibly passionate or somewhat naive about about where you were headed. And correct me if I'm wrong, I met with a naturopathic doctor a couple of years ago just for coffee to talk about our businesses. And at that time, and I don't know if it's still the case, like regular um, healthcare HMOs don't cover naturopathic doctors. So most of um, the doctor I met with, most of her patients were paying out of pocket. And I I mean, there's definitely changes in that with, you know, some of the things that have come up with the Affordable Care Act. So um, with the training that I have and the license that I have, there's a lot of things that actually are supposed to be covered now, um, essential services, physicals and things like that. But, um, you know, a lot of the wellness factor, uh, you know, a lot of the health education that I do, um, isn't consistently covered by insurance. But I think that we're just kind of in a place now in healthcare where, um, people are looking for different options. Um, and they want to work with people that they know that they can trust that also have a, you know, a very good understanding of Western medicine as well, uh, as well as holistic medicine and how they can work together. So people, I think, are just really looking for it now. And so oftentimes they are willing to, to pay out of pocket for it. Mm-hmm. For something that valuable. Yeah, yes. All right. Now let's dive in. Okay. <laughs> so, Alyn, all right. You've had success. You, you know, it's almost like you were, you were like a one track mind of this, this is where I'm going, though I'm sure there were twists and turns along the way, but you've gained confidence. Now take us back to a time when you were playing small and you may not have been aware of it at the time. It may have been only in retrospect, you realized you were um, undervaluing yourself. Share with us the story and the lessons you've learned. Sure. I, you know, as a brand new provider and a business owner, when I um, got out of medical school, moved back to my home state to start my practice. On more than one occasion, I worked with mentors to help me in both business and practice. And I think it's very important for people to have coaches and mentors at any point in their life or practice. Um, and I recently worked with a coaching company that helped me significantly restructure my practice and get deeper into the health education that I love and that I put above all other treatments in my practice. But what I soon realized was that while I thought my relationship with them was prompting me to not play small, you know, I found that actually in a big way, I was still playing small because I was allowing someone else to define and, and in a way undervalue what my definition of success was and what I wanted to, to have to create a successful life. So maybe it's the, the independent manner in me, but I think that you have to be really clear about what you envision a successful life to be and don't be afraid that it's too big or too small from someone else's perspective. Ellen, if you don't mind, take us to one of those conversations or musing after a conversation. What made you realize that they were defining success for you and maybe undervaluing? Sure. I think that, you know, probably one of the biggest things for me was when I went to, we had like quarterly events um, and all of the, I guess, kind of buzzwords um, were, were more focused on, on the finances, which, you know, obviously you can appreciate, you want to be financially successful in anything that you do. But um, I just felt that, um, there was more focus on that than some of the the other values that I really wanted to um, foster and grow in my practice. So it was more the experience of 
their their values just weren't or the emphasis they were putting on the values weren't in alignment with you. Yes, I can definitely, <laughs> I can definitely sympathize with that, I guess is the word I'm looking for. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you definitely get a sense of are you in the right association? Are you hanging out with the right people by um, the conversations that surround you? And do the conversations reflect the values that you value? Yeah. Um, because there, ha- I agree, there have been, I've been a part of different um, organizations or gatherings. I don't know how else to word them. And the, the conversation kept going in a direction that didn't feel good to me, didn't light me up. It's not that it was bad. Right. It just wasn't anything that got me excited or, you know, made me feel, um, you know, that I was in the right place. And because of that feeling in that sense, I ended up just kind of removing myself from the situation. So right. And I think that was that was very similar to what I was experiencing. But it, you know, it was great, because it really got me to sit down and be very clear, first of all, about what my my values were in general, but then also what my values were um, in regards to my practice and my business. And, you know, I, I think this happens for a lot of people, they ended up being very much the same. And so I yeah, I just had to, to acknowledge that it was a it was a good experience but that my you know the other members of my tribe were elsewhere and I could keep on looking and that was okay Mm-hmm. And the other lesson I took from this as well is how important it is to make sure your mentors are aware of absolutely what your values are what your definition of success is you definitely want to learn from your mentors and gain from their experience but they also need to know how to guide you and i think some mentors want to do a great job mentoring um, and having that information only helps them right and i think that it, you know if if mentors are um, effective in their mentoring they don't ever necessarily tell you what success is they may tell you what, you know, success looks like for them and, and, you know, how you can build your best life. Um, but I think that they, they do, um, step back a little bit and let you also let you figure some of that out for yourself, because what's the, you know, what's success for them and what is a good life for them? It won't all fit with what you need or what you want. Absolutely. All right, Elaine, now share with us a time in your journey when you had a wake-up call. Take us back to that moment and share with us the steps you took that led to your success. Sure. Um, you know, this actually happened about nine months ago. Um, and I say it, it would probably have built up um, from, you know, years before then. <laughs> but I, I started experiencing my own challenges with my health and well-being. I had incredible fatigue, some of those classic burnout symptoms that I see in my patients coming in. Um, I was feeling, you know, stifled by the responsibility of my practice. Uh, but I also felt like there had to be a more effective way for me to help people, um, and more people than doing just one-on-one patient care. I wasn't really sure where I was going, uh, with my practice the next step. And, I was definitely at a loss. I, I found myself taking a lot of long therapeutic walks, usually by the water. And one day uh, while I was taking an early spring walk down by the ocean, um, thinking about my purpose, what my purpose was as a doctor, all of a sudden I got, it was like a, a lightning bolt epiphany about what I actually was. You know, my job title is doctor, but uh, what I actually am is, is a very effective teacher and, and to a certain extent an artist. And once I was able to kind of admit to myself that focusing 
only on -on one-on-one patient care was not how I could best serve others. It was like, you know, my whole life lit up. I was able to kind of see, um, the forest for the trees and, and, and find a direction. It wasn't that I wasn't cut out to help others, which was kind of my fear as my energy was dropping, but how I could help others was just in a different way than I'd been conditioned to think a doctor was supposed to practice. Um, so my task from then on was to focus on the art of my practice and to help others find that for themselves. In my experience, when we get, you know, further away from our true nature and truest values, the the further, uh, we can get from physical and emotional health. Mm. And when you say you made changes in the art of your practice, what did those changes look like? So what I ended up doing, um, was implementing the the education component to it was it was what all of my patients were going to be receiving when they when they worked with me so um, a little bit more of a, a structured curriculum for them and um, started doing just more more classes and educational events for for people in my practice and also for the community and that really just helped me. Um, be able to reach more people with, I think, general health information that everyone should have access to. And um, I I just really, I I do teach part-time. And so I just knew that the teaching was something that really kind of, you know, lit up my world. And it was a way that for me to also stay vital with my practice. Mm, Absolutely. All right. Now, what I want everyone to get is there's no one way to lead. We're all different and we're going to lead differently. So, Elaine, how would you describe your leadership style? (laughs) I I think that my leadership, my best leadership quality is that um, I have a knack for very quickly identifying what the gifts are in other people. And I'm very good at helping them find a way to contribute to a group. or cause with that gift. Um, and again, this goes back to, um, you know, we may have, uh, what I was discussing earlier with myself is that we may have a certain job title, but there's certain gifts that we have that we can contribute best to that, that task or to that, um, that job title or to that, uh, cause, whatever you're working towards. So, you know, everyone has an art to their practice and I kind of consider myself a, a bit of a, a muse that can help them acknowledge and develop that. That must be awesome for the people who are working with you <laughs> to have you. Cause I can only, cause that I would say that that's a gift I have in others is helping to bring out their best. Mm-hmm. And so when somebody does that, when somebody points out to another person, like you're really good at this, like that lights other people up for sure. and they get excited about that gift. That must be an amazing experience for those who are working around you yeah. to have you do that. Uh, well, I think that, you know, it's something that I realized when I started doing that, even though I, you know, as a naturopathic doctor, I'm doing, you know, I'm working on physical health and, and obviously emotional health, but it's, you know, it's more of a medical sort of setting. But once I started, when I did those, um, you know, did that with, with patients, um, it really kind of put <laughs> a glow in the space and, and really, um, I think had a huge impact on their, on their overall emotional healing and, and inevitably physical healing. So I think it's important to point those things out for people. 
Yes, I I definitely pick up on um, kind of the vibe of an office that I go into. And you can tell the differences between a happy office and, Mm -hmm. you know, an office where people are just kind of getting by. And it's not to say like everyone's always having a really great day. That's not the requirement. (laughs) But but there, there is definitely a vibe in an office where the people are are happy to be there, right? They they know they're working in a good place, and it's a team environment, regardless of how the day is going. Absolutely, yeah. All right, Alin, what is one thing you're working on right now that you're really excited about? Well, I've gotten just way more uh, real about my writing lately, and it's it's really been my daily bread. I would say I I can't even tell you how satisfying it's been. Um, I. I'm definitely a creative person, so I've been working much more on my blog, and it seems to be growing and developing. And actually, two weeks ago, I started writing my book, which I'm super excited about as well. Awesome. And what's your book going to be about? Uh, It's going to be about, well, I can give you the title. It's called The Anatomy of a Lifestyle Change. Um, And what I find when people come and start working with me, because I do a lot of preventative medicine, and, um, you know, a lot of counseling on how to do lifestyle changes and things like that. A lot of people are starting from square one. And sometimes there are things that come up that they don't really expect. Um, You know, I think we have, with all the information kind of floating around on the internet about, um, you know, making changes and willpower and all that stuff, there's a lot of things that come up uh, when people are making change that they don't necessarily expect. And so I I'm going to be able to dissect that for people. So it's kind of like the, the pre <laughs> the mm. pregame for the, for the actual changes that, they, that they're going to make. I think that's fantastic because I don't my, I, myself and I know many, many others who, you know, started a lifestyle change and then suddenly got hit in the face with like, oh, this isn't as easy as I thought right. it was going to be. And all of a sudden you don't want to do it anymore, even though you know it is the right thing right. to do. But the unexpected hard. <laughs> Absolutely. And you just have to be, you just have to be real about that. Um, I, I'm always very honest about those things. You know, you want to, you want to make sure that people, um, feel buoyant through the whole process, but you also, you know, when things get hard, you have to acknowledge that they're hard. And I think when there's, you can kind of expect that there will be there, there's possible, um, you know, forks that'll come up in the road. It makes people less anxious about starting the process too, which I think is a, a huge goal of mine. Absolutely. If you normalize, you know, what the challenges are going to be, because I remember, you know, I remember when um, I was a teenager, I wanted to start running and it was hard and I got shin splints. I overdid it, you know, and then I didn't want to do it anymore. But when I was in my thirties, I was around a group of women who were doing five K's and 10 K's and I wanted to run with them, but I read up on it more. I learned from people who are running. I was supported and it's not like it wasn't hard. In fact, I went on to run a marathon and training for that was very hard, but I was very aware of what the challenges were going to be. So I was ready for them. That's awesome. <laughs> and it didn't stop me. But yes, when it's unexpected, it it, it can send you know, send you into a tailspin sometimes. Yeah, people can just so shut that's down. True. So it's it's helpful for them to know. Absolutely. And when your book is live and available online, let me know because I can always update your show notes page so we can link right to it. So it's evergreen. (laughs) All right. Now I'm going to do a quick leadership roundup. So tell us, what is one practice that helps you to be a better leader? 
Well, I I had mentioned earlier that you know some of my that I that I had some of my epiphanies by the water, and I will say that my best thoughts and reflections do come when I'm by the water. So on a daily basis, I try to do something related to to the water. Um, you know, I take a walk by the ocean or a river in Maine. Thankfully, you know, we just are kind of blessed with with having those things, um, or I'll take a warm bath or a really cold shower, whatever I need. Um, cause I find that that for whatever reason, that element just kind of keeps me in perspective. And so it's, it's very helpful and therapeutic for me. Mm, and as of the day we're recording it, it is a gorgeous day in Maine today. So we've both talked about being outside and going for walks. And, um, so we'll, we'll be taking advantage of that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And Elaine, what is one book that you would recommend to a woman to help her develop her leadership? Well, recently I've been reading what's called The Art of Asking by Amanda Palmer. And I think that part of being a great leader is being able to be authentic about what your gifts, um, where your gifts do and do not lie, and to ask for help to, um, or to ask for more hands to move your dream along. And that's one thing that, you know, I've kind of been going solo for, you know, kind of forever in a lot of ways. Uh, solo as a teenager, you know, solo as a researcher and, and solo as a provider. And one of my, one of the, the big lessons for me is also to just know how to ask for help and to also just ask for, for more hands and, and more perspectives. Mm, and that's huge. And I make a point. This this is kind of one sided, but and I do it in some circumstances with men. But whenever a woman goes out of her way to ask for something, and I knew it was hard for her to ask, I always congratulate her. <laughs> <That's> awesome. <laughs> right? Yes, yes. I'm one of um one of the guests I was going to have on my show called me to apologize because her father's in hospice and she had to cancel. And I was very clear before we got off the phone that she had nothing to apologize for and that she was honoring her values. You know, it's things like that. I don't know what it is. And I'm not saying men don't do it as well or don't experience this. But I think for this is an area I think is very prevalent for women where it's very difficult for us to ask for help because we're supposed to be independent or or even if we're not independent, we're supposed to have it all handled and be carrying our own weight and taking care of other people and looking good while we're doing it. Right. Right. And so when, when we're able to kind of break that mold and ask for help and, you know, be open to it and be vulnerable, that's something to celebrate because I know it was hard. No, absolutely. And I think, you know, in the medical field too, um, you're kind you are kind of expected to know everything. <laughs> and, and so right. that it can be, yeah, I, I think it, it does make people less likely to ask questions, but I've had to really quit that habit because it's, you know, it doesn't help anybody if I'm, if I'm not kind of drawing upon the wonderful, amazing resources I have around me. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And what advice would you give your younger self? This is a great question, by the way. Um, <laughs> I, would say don't wait too long to take your power back and and by that I mean um, I think that that in general people not even just women we tend to give our power away in in casual and in business situations and I recommend being you know kind of putting some ritual into this and and always taking a moment at the end of the day 
to gather your power back to you from wherever it was dispersed. You know, if it, if some of it leaked away at a business meeting, you know, at an apartment you just moved out of, you left some of it there at the phone call with that person that makes you not feel so great bit by bit. If we're not careful, our power can be trained. And so you always have to remember to call it back to you on a regular basis. It's like recharging a battery. And I think that, um, you know, when I started to notice that my energy was really, really dropping, uh, you know, months ago, I had to start being much more conscious of where I was letting it leak away and, and how I needed to bring it back to me. Oh, Alain, you just followed up that great question with a great answer. <laughs> I, I am going to start doing that at the end of the day, asking myself, where did I give my power away today and how can I get it back? Absolutely. I, I you know, because you feel it. You definitely feel when you feel like you gave too much mm -hmm. or you conceded when you shouldn't. It's, it's like that feeling of like losing control. Mm -hmm. um, and you do feel um, and I think that's the experience we get sometimes when we just feel um, scattered. Yep. It's that's what's happened. Oh, that's so great. All right. Share with us a success quote or a mantra and why it has meaning for you. Um, I think one that's probably got become much more meaningful to me lately um, is I believe said by Brene Brown and it is that unused creativity is not benign. And I find that it, it's helpful for me to remind myself of this to clarify. It's not that ignore, it's not that ignoring your creativity causes disease directly by any means, but what I've noticed from my personal experience and working with others is that when we ignore the creative aspect of our experience and, it, and every human is creative, you know, creating children is, is a creative act. We, we eventually find that the light grows a little bit dimmer in other aspects of our lives if we ignore that. And I've seen that and felt that in my own life. Um, other parts of our relationships and well-being begin to suffer if we put our creativity on a shelf or if we deny our creativity or if we just don't use it. Wow, that's huge. All right, Alin, lastly, what is the best way for those listening to connect with you? I think that if you are able to go to my website, um, it's www.arpnaturod.com. Um, you can actually access almost everything from there. You can get to my blog. You can learn more about my practice. Um, you can access the resources I have for parents there. And um, you can absolutely contact me from that website as well. Mm -hmm. And if anyone's in the car or out for a jog or anything, don't worry. <laughs> the, the links will be in the show notes page and you can find that at womentakingthelead.com or you can use the short link, which is womentl.com. Alin, thank you so much for taking the time to inspire and enlighten us. We are all better for having met you. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Jody. This was a great interview. Thank you for joining me on Women Taking the Lead. Were you inspired to take some action today, but maybe don't know where to start? Or maybe you have so many great ideas you can't decide where to focus your attention. Don't let stress or overwhelm stop you from having the career, the business, or the life you want to live. Head over to womentakingthelead.com forward slash coaching or use the short link womentl.com forward slash coaching to sign up for a consultation with me. And to strengthen you on your leadership journey, I'd like to send you off with a quote from Marianne Williamson, so here goes. Our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. 
It is our light, not our darkness, that most frightens us. We ask ourselves, who am I to be brilliant, gorgeous, talented, fabulous? Actually, who are you not to be? You are a child of God. Your playing small does not serve the world. There is nothing enlightened about shrinking so that other people won't feel insecure around you. We are all meant to shine as children do. We were born to make manifest the glory of God that is within us. It's not just in some of us, it's in everyone. And as we let our own light shine, we unconsciously give other people permission to do the same. As we are liberated from our own fear, our presence automatically liberates others. Again, thank you for joining me, and here's to your success.